When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am off on adventures, so this is a best of edition of the Clark Howard Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. We will see you the last week of November with our podcast. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. Let me ask you a question. What do you wish someone would have said to you forever ago to get you in more control of your financial future? I'm going to hit you with a couple of things I think are key to your financial future that are the kind of things that, well, we kind of know, but maybe we need a little nudge to do. And later, streaming is going up in price and down in price at the same time. You know, we got video streaming that is everybody's falling all over themselves with price increases. Spotify increased rates recently. All the content providers with these streaming services are all trying to get a bigger chunk out of your and my wallet. What's that about? What can you do about it? I'm going to tell you later. But right now, I want to talk about some core principles of how we handle money as Americans and our neighbors in the North, Canadians, are are pretty much right there along with this as well. So in a lot of other countries that are growing economically but had not been affluent, what are known as middle-income countries, people save roughly a third of what they make. Won't call them dollars because they wouldn't be dollars. Well, maybe in this case, I'll just say it that way to keep it simple. For every $3 somebody makes in other cultures, so many other cultures, people save a dollar. It is like an article of faith, $2 to live on, one to save. In the United States, Our traditional pattern, and it floats some, but the typical American saves six cents of every dollar. Six cents of every dollar. Where in so much of the rest of the world, it's 33 cents of every dollar equivalent. Our culture has long been one about, hey, let's have fun today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. It is embedded in our culture that that's how we are. It doesn't make us bad, but the consequences can be rough. And so my big thing is changing how you do something to have a better result for you down the road. And so there are two principles that I want to draw out right now 
that are central and core to what I try to do to change your path with money. The first thing, across income scale, it's amazing that even as you move to very high income in the United States, a large percent of people who make a lot of money aren't saving any. They're wheezing financially. That's an unnecessary risk. There, once you get past the basics of life, more and more of spending becomes discretionary, as does the saving. So I have the crawl before you walk, the walk before you run, and the run before you marathon idea of how you build up financial security, either through if you're lucky enough to have the ability to put money aside at work or you're not. I want you to start, if you're not saving anything, you're living a deficit life, and even if you're running debts, I want you to start automatically saving in whatever vehicle you can, one cent of every dollar you make. And you may be thinking right now, listening to me, or if you're watching me, you may be thinking, come on, I'm saving blah, blah, blah. Well, a lot of other people aren't. And there's not a guilt trip. It's just a fact of our culture. So if you start saving a penny of each dollar, in whatever way you would do it, it could be a savings account. It could be in a 401k. It could be in a Roth IRA. Whatever. Do that penny of each dollar you make. Automatically going into whatever it is. And then six months from now, you do another penny. Six months after that, a third penny. Six months after that, a fourth. What you'll find is that if you go from not being a saver at all, even if you're living a dead existence, you can create a mentality in your life of living on less than what you make one little step at a time. In five years, you will have gone from not being a saver at all to saving a dime of every dollar you make. And that's a great baseline. This is something that is for you. And what it does is it creates a whole different scenario moving forward. When you live on less than what you make, it means later you need less to live on because you've learned to live a less costly lifestyle. And you're building up money so that you can make choices other than having to feel like you have to work forever. The second part of this is I am the man from Roth. The Roth IRA is a wonderful gift that we got from the U.S. Congress. Senator William Roth of Delaware came up with this idea, and that's why it's named the Roth to encourage people to save because savings before had really been so heavily tilted with the tax code only towards wealthy people. The Roth is an equalizer. You can put money in a Roth IRA. Only ultra high income earners have restrictions. You put money in a Roth IRA and your money grows tax free and it's spent tax free down the road. Again, crawl before you walk, walk before you run, run before you marathon. But if I can 
leave you with anything if building savings and building security has been really hard for you. You do these two things. And I don't need to go more into the Roth because I talk about the Roth in different ways all the time. But building up the habit of savings first, building a Roth is maybe part of that or in addition, do those two things. You create a whole new story. You know, your name, your own adventure book, you're creating a new ending for that adventure book, a new cycle in that adventure book. When you live on less than what you make as the way you live your life. Krista? And we do have more specifics on Roth IRAs and other information, like what is an ultra high income earner, like all those limits and everything on Clark.com. So this is from Jesse in Illinois. Jesse says, I'm currently in chapter 13 for the next four years. While I'm in it, should I start to rebuild my credit, opening up secured credit cards, not to spend on, but to just rebuild my credit? Or do I have to wait until all of this is over? Thank you for all you do. Jesse, you know, with the chapter 13s, first of all, I'm so glad it sounds like the 13 is working for you. If you're not aware of what this is, under the bankruptcy code for individuals, I'm going to oversimplify, but there's uh, chapter 7, which is where your debts are instantly wiped out. It's called fresh start. You have a mark on your credit for 10 years for the bankruptcy. But most people at least start in a chapter 13. And if you have four years left, it means you have been in for a while, you're making your payments as agreed, and you're going to have success with it, satisfying the amount of debt that your plan calls for. And I think that's fantastic. I would worry more about your reestablishing credit four years from now. I want everything to be devoted to your payment plan and succeeding with it. If you have a situation where you just have to have a credit card for paying a deposit somewhere or booking travel or whatever that is, then yes, you can look at secured card programs, but a lot of them are junk. I want you to look at the ones offered by credit unions that are usually referred to generically as fresh start programs. The credit union, they may call them credit builders, they may may call them fresh start, they may call them Uh, They may even use the secured term. They are vastly superior to the general marketplace for secured cards. We do have some briefing on secured cards at Clark.com, some information in our briefing, I should say. Richard in West Virginia says, I keep seeing ads for phone apps where you scan your receipt or link your credit cards and you earn money from saving from the things you buy. There are many of them. Are there any of them good and are some better than others? Are there risks involved with either kind? Love the show. Thanks. So risks, Richard, I'm not familiar with. We have reviewed several of these. We've got six of them we've reviewed, if I remember right, on Clark.com. And you can see how each of them work. Uh, The thing is, none of these are going to move the needle a lot in how much money they'll generate for you. And they do require some work. So uh, you can consider them, but I would not make these a high priority. 
And the article is titled Six Best Apps to Save Money on Groceries if you are looking for it. But they're, but they're not just, many of them go beyond groceries, right. but that's the True. title we have for it. And then Mr. Anonymous in Colorado wrote in saying, Dear Clark, this is a tip for you. As a former USAP, the United States Antarctic Program contractor, there may be a free pass for you to get down to, quote, the ice. The USAP hires many seasonal workers every year to maintain the stations to complete all sorts of various work, apply and get a temporary seasonal job with the USAP, or maybe find an Antarctic scientist or professor who needs help with their study, or as a current member of the military, find an opportunity to hop onto one of the many support vehicles like the Air Force's C-17 used to carry people and material down, or maybe hitch a ride on one of the scientific ships. Bring the whole family. How are your sea legs? <laughs> well, Mr. Anonymous. For background, we've been talking about yeah, you. Yeah, we've been. We, I have had so many suggestions. I thank you all for the many suggestions because I talked about what a wimp I am that I don't want to go through the Drake Passage. To get to Antarctica. Yeah, because yeah, is- it's the only continent I've not been to is Antarctica. So I appreciate it very much. What I'd love to do is fly on a C-17 down there. You you don't know that military plane. Do you? No. It's what a great aircraft. Uh, I had the privilege in my years of service to spend some time around the C-17, and that would be a wonderful way to get to Antarctica. And I appreciate you and all the others who have made suggestions. Um, I don't think I'm going to go take a contractor job. No, I wouldn't in, allow that Antarctica. right now. Sorry. You're not going to allow me no. to do that? Okay. <laughs> And I can tell you one person who's not going there with me on a contractor job. <laughs> Lane. That's Lane. Because she has uh, she has something called Renaud's, mm. which is uh, aggravated by cold. So it's an adventure I'm going to have to do by myself. But uh, it will not be long enough to do seasonal work. But thanks for the advice. And maybe someone else will say, hey, I love that idea. I'm going to go live a season in Antarctica. Absolutely. I'm going to go be a contractor there. So I appreciate that so much. Coming up ahead, when it gets cold, and you want to be inside watching video content, but then you may not be able to pay your heating bill when it's cold because of how much video content's costing now. Well, what if I could tell you there is a free lunch for video content? We're going to talk about that straight ahead. It's not a coincidence that over the last couple of months, I've addressed streaming services a few times. What's going on? There have been big, big price increases for streaming services of the various types, whether it's the streaming services that mimic traditional cable fare, where you have live channels, the broadcast channels, and the traditional cable channels coming at you. Think of like YouTube TV, Hulu Live, Fubo, Sling, these kind of things. They've steadily been marching their prices upward. That's because they'd been in a market share war. Now they're much more worried about the fact that, hey, look how many hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars we're losing. Same thing's happening with the streaming services like the Disney Channel, and regular Hulu, and Netflix, although Netflix remains profitable through this. 
paramount. I'm thinking all of these things have been going through a rough ride because they've all been not able to make money and break through. Because you and I have only so much money that we can spend on things. And then uh, something I haven't addressed in a long time, I don't think, they overproduced content. The original content provider services that offer uh, their own show content. There are so many various series. There are like five times the historical number of original productions that have been going on. Uh, Now with the strikes going on, not so much. But anyway, there's too much content, too small audience. The budgets don't work and things have to give. So the first thing they've done is they've been starting to cut back on the number of productions. They've been cutting back on the whole concept of the market share and mind share they expected to have from us at various streaming services. So now they're like the accountants are in the mix now. What are you going to do to make these profitable? So the push comes to shove, they raise prices on us. At the same time, the prices of the closest thing to traditional cable and all these streaming services that are not like original cable, you watch stuff when you want to, blah, 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 on demand, all those going up. At the same time, the fastest growing, and I think in part because of it, area are ad-supported free streaming services. And in our household, we watch a lot of what's available on these free services. Then you have the Amazon Prime streaming that if people have Amazon Prime, well, in your mind, that's like a free stream because you already have Amazon Prime. If you have a Walmart Plus, they've got a free stream for you with one of the services. So there's all this stuff out there. And even if people don't have Amazon Prime, there's freebie from Amazon. But we watch a lot of Pluto. Pluto is such an odd bird. And now there are more and more odd birds like that. And I think the biggest of them now is Tubi. But again, there's, there's one after another after another that are free. And even some of the paid streaming services have free offshoots. Like Sling has Freestream, which is their free one. And so the TV manufacturers are in this now. Samsung has a free streaming service. LG has a free streaming service. If you have Roku, Roku has the Roku channel with free streaming. You could run out of time to watch video 168 hours a week just watching the free streams. And I would be remiss if I did not mention the ultimate freebie, and that is a simple antenna depending on how close you are to broadcast channels. Costs you as little as 10 bucks to as much as maybe $75 for an antenna that will bring full bore, 4K, and HD into your home for free from dozens and dozens of channels of live programming. And if you are a sports enthusiast like I am, 
sports programming that is available through broadcast with an antenna, the picture, if you get a signal, will be far better on your TV from a free broadcast signal coming into your home than it will be through any streaming service at all. And the other thing is if you've got a friend or relative that you're talking to and you're watching a game with them, you know what's happening in a play 30 to 40 seconds before they do because the streamings are so delayed from live. Your husband's so into his alma mater, and he's on those. Does he still do all those message boards oh, yeah. while he's watching the game? Mm-hmm. Well, Twitter now, usually. They don't call it that anymore. It's X. Oh, okay. I thought that it's still Twitter, but their logo changed, but who knows? Oh, I thought I thought they call it. So it is. I don't know. So, so it's still called a tweet? I call it a tweet. Okay. <laughs> I you know Elon Musk is a brilliant man and he's got his own stuff. I don't I don't get that whole rebranding. Okay. Doug in Georgia says yeah. it seems Google Fi is becoming less international travel friendly. I signed up for Google Fi, a Google Fi account a year ago for a trip. It worked great and when we got back to the US I paused the service and went back to my T Mobile prepaid. Ah, I know what's going on here. Keep going. <laughs> I did the same thing for a couple of other trips, but this week Google Fi said I was breaching the terms of service and international data was suspended until I used the plan exclusively in the US. I unpaused the service for a few days, but it did not reactivate the international data. As I'm traveling again soon, I reached back out to support, but they said that due to security reasons, we can't provide more specific information. I Googled and found similar users. It's ironic that you Googled and found similar users (laughs) that took between 30 to 90 days of active use before the plan would be reactivated. I've canceled Google Fi and will buy a local SIM when I travel. I thought you might want to know for people who may have a similar use case. Okay, so let me explain this. If you travel internationally, Google Fi is far and away, without doubt, nobody's close, the best international service there is. Google Fi treats your travel pretty much identically to if you were in the United States. What happened is on message boards like Reddit and other places, people were talking about how to game this. So people were signing up for Google Fi just before they'd go on an international trip and they were not using their Verizon or T-Mobile or AT&T or whatever. They were using Google Fi overseas. Well, when you travel overseas, they're having to pay big money for you to be able to use Google Fi overseas pretty much just like you're in the U.S. And this is something just spread through, uh, through the internet that people learn to game it. So now... They have explicit in their terms of service that you can't you can't just activate it when you're traveling outside the United States, that it has to be a feature, a benefit of being a regular customer of Google Fi. So why is Google Fi absolutely the superior choice for international? Because if you're with one of the three bigs and you travel overseas, T-Mobile will give you the first five gigs free to use overseas. But then after that, it's very pricey. AT&T and Verizon charge you huge fees per day or per month.
to use your phone overseas. Google Fi, by not doing that and treating you pretty much the same as if you're in the U.S., is vastly superior outside the country. But all the rest of the year, you need to use it as your cell phone service. So that's what's going on. And it's not like, Doug, they are ripping you off. It's in order to get that international benefit, they have to have the benefit of your business. The other, whoever, how many hundreds of days a year, you're in the U.S. Jennifer in North Carolina says, Hi, Clark. My question is about homeowner's insurance. I live in a condo on the North Carolina coast in an HOA community. Recently, on one of your podcasts, you suggested having a high deductible. Since some of my homeowner's insurance is covered with my HOA, I'm thinking I might not need as much insurance. What would be some examples of major claims that I would be responsible for that would not be covered under the HOA Master Homeowner's Plan? Okay, this is a great question. So, Jennifer, every condo has uh, virtually unique wording on what is the responsibility of the unit owner and what is the responsibility of the association. It may be wording like from the uh, inside unfinished walls or something like that that determines what coverage you have to have of your own versus what is through your monthly association dues to the condo association. So you have to go to your actual docs to see what exposure you face. It's also a question of resources. You live on the North Carolina coast, which has had uh, bad outcomes from a series of hurricanes, and homeowner's insurance becomes more dicey. In your case, it's a condominium owner's policy. It's still to your advantage, if you can afford it, to self-insure for as much as is reasonable in your life and the resources you have for you to rebuild beyond what the association covers. If the unit takes substantial damage, a lot of that repair is going to come on you, what happens inside the unit, not to the association. So that condo policy is important and is valuable to you, but because of the heightened risk of your location, taking on a higher deductible is a really good idea. And Kristen in California says, we have 529s for our four-year-old and our four-month-old daughters. We're planning to send them to private school for K-8. through I know the rules were recently amended to allow funds in a 529 to pay for K-12 through tuition, but we want to keep the money invested as long as possible and save it for college. However, if one or both of our daughters decide not to go to college, can we use the money in their 529 to reimburse past K-8 through tuition, given that we save the statements and payment history? No, the rules say you can't retroactively pay for the private school prior to college. What uh, affluent families are doing is they're funding a lot into 529 accounts and using it for both, having money that is growing for college tax-free and will be used tax-free. And uh, I'm trying to remember, is the limit ten grand. Or private school each year. Yeah, it's yeah. It was, I'll double so check. I think it's ten, or and they're taking ten from it each year to use tax-free money, money that's grown tax-free and spend tax-free for private school. Again, 
you have to be a really affluent family to be able to put in enough money to put money towards private school and then towards college as well. Okay, so the thing you said, somebody chooses not to go to college. Up to $35,000 is effective January 1. Up to $35,000 from a long-term 529 account, which is considered to be 15 years or longer in place, Thirty-five grand can be moved into a Roth IRA for that child, tax-free, penalty-free, and so you've given them a huge leg up on saving for retirement. And this is because a lot of parents were reluctant to put sufficient funding in a 529 to reduce college obligations, and they were worried, what if my kid doesn't go to college? What if we don't use all the money? Then we have the tax and the massive penalty. So by allowing the money to migrate tax-free up to the thirty-five grand into a Roth, it eliminated that problem. 529 plans, if you're not familiar, are the greatest way available to pay for college other than maybe going into the military and having the military pay for your college education. And I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Remember, if you have a question, or you may be hearing this for the first time, and you don't know where to turn, you don't know how to get an answer about a problem you're having, or just a question about something, you can call our Team Clark Consumer Action Center for free, and it's available 30 hours each week, uh, Monday through Friday only. 10 in the morning Eastern till 4 in the afternoon Eastern. No holidays covered. And you can talk to one of our Team Clark Consumer Action Center members one-on-one about your concern, your problem, need advice, guidance, whatever. We are there to do that for you. And we've been doing so for just short of 31 years. You can call in at 636-49-CLARK. Have a great day.